0: Dialed in to Box and Brews, you might hear something you can use. Like tips on your
1: cash or tips on the suds. You're going to want to use the smarts of these studs. Because they know the bruise. And they know the box. And they know they can't help the stubborn fucks. So listen up, because shit's not funny. And save yourself
2: some beer money. bucks and Brews. Box and Brews. Bucks and Brews. Bucks and Brews.
0: Welcome back to Bucks and Brews. Nick, we have a jam-packed episode tonight. We do. Um, Before We've had an interesting day as well. Yeah. So before we get too far into it, what are you drinking, my friend? I'm I'm gifted by the
3: man to my left. Uh, OCP Oatmeal Cream Pie from Pigeon Hill, local in Muskegon, so not far from us. Um, David, thank you so much for the beer because I didn't get any.
0: You're having a rough day. Um, I have a salted caramel porter, also from Pigeon Hill. Ooh! When I'm done with that, I have because it's summer. Yeah, a Seagram's Ice Original. Nice. So I'll I'll join that afterwards. There we go. Um, anyway, <laughs> we have a lot of people on today, so let's start with uh, the eye candy himself, Mr. Michael Benson. What are you drinking, my friend? Oh, uh, let's see. Today
2: I'm drinking. it. I bought this, and I think I might have had it before, but it's Founders. It's their green zebra. It's a there goes a ale, yeah. and it's a variety pack, so I've got a few different flavors, and if I run out of that, I've still got some shorts, uh soft beret that I might drink, but yeah. Right.
0: Let's uh let's go to a non-alcoholic portion of the show. Uh, Professor Seawick, my friend, how are you?
4: I'm doing excellent. Thank you for asking. What do you have? Yeah. Well, a little bit of a curveball tonight. It is not City of Lansing tap water, nor is it coffee. Whoa. So. However, it is a it is a beverage that is made with hops, is carbonated, oh, is buddy. typically drinking cold, and is known for its mellowing effects. It is not alcoholic, though. It is Absolutely. hop tea. Oh, I discovered tea. this stuff, like, probably two years ago and just fell in love with it. I've and, enjoyed some hop tea myself. Yeah, so that's what I'm drinking. It's basically like a chamomile tea that's made with carbonated water and then hops. Nice. So is that
2: just a, a uh, mason jar
4: you're drinking out of? Oh, yeah. yeah absolutely. Awesome. Every man drinks from a mason jar. So yeah. it, it kind of tastes like, I don't know if you've ever had, because I don't know that I ever bought it in the United States, but in Europe, I used to drink a beer called Cronenberg Blanc, and it was a Bel- mm. I think Belgian beer. Belgian uh, yep. Yeah, it tastes like apples, There's basically. That. Very, very mm. good. So this that's the closest this kind of is for a non-alcoholic. All right, there you
0: go. So we're also joined by uh, Mr. Jim Lowry, who is now going to be referred to forevermore as El Presidente. Thank you, Michael, for that new
1: nickname
2: it's for totally, Jim. It's totally like a new role that. that we might have to change his name.
1: Well, as you can tell by the non-controversial and rather banal art behind us, um, I am in a hotel room in Texas, so I'm uh, enjoying some Dr. Pepper Diet non-IPA.
0: There you go. Next not-alcoholic drink tonight is also Dr. Pepper, Dr. Pepper Zero.
3: Oh, his, man. Just has,
2: his just has the sugar in it. I, no, his is zero sugar. Zero sugar. sugar. Oh, zero. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. he has the zero as opposed to the diet.
0: I uh, <laughs> huh. It's, it's going to be weird to drink one beer. It is. Um, we are joined tonight by Scott Bennett, who I found on TikTok, and uh, I absolutely love his TikTok um, right up my alley. Uh, yep. The one I discovered was the uh, stock buyback one, which I have absolute thoughts on scott what are you drinking my friend
5: cheers I'm, i've got a little liquid bread uh guinness from a can in uh one of my english uh pint mugs here that i really love Nice. Good. i good. also have a, a a kronbacher pilsner this is my favorite one uh that i pick up at the mm. local uh liquor store the german beer it's good stuff
2: yeah let's see it's and my, where are you my, Dave, these are my new best friend's <laughs>
0: I, I figured you would say that. Um, you have to hit us with your normal new opening now.
3: So everybody, thanks so much for joining us. As always, like, subscribe, share, tell your friends, tell your family. Uh, we've brought our family here for you guys to listen to and bring you great insight. So uh with that before we get into that,
0: yeah. I, I wanna I wanna take a, a left turn. Okay. Um so we had a weekend. You more than me. <laughs> i've had i've had a few days. i want to touch on this <laughs> sure because sure. we did this on the mental health episode sure so y- you saw somebody this weekend that told you to and i quote eat his ass with a spoon but correct and uh how did that go
3: um so not well uh I so it, imagine. It, it it uh he came to my property that i happen to own yeah. something was going on he he! right away avoided me, walked around, came by probably three minutes later, and I simply asked what he was doing on my property. Uh, that led to me being verbally assaulted in plenty of ways, escalated. So I then basically walk and start chasing towards him mm-hmm. and being asked not to. Uh, he leaves, comes back about three minutes later, uh, and I was like, this isn't going to go well. Anyway, throughout that time. Uh, over the course of that night, I, my life got threatened three times um, and that, you know, didn't go well for me. So uh, just just a lot of fun for what people think. And I'm it, it all started because he just strictly hates me because I'm a landlord.
0: So I, I want to say this because I have a, a microphone and we have a little bit of an audience. Yeah. Um, If it had been me. Yeah. He'd have been in a much more world of hurt because I'd have just called the fucking cops and had his ass arrested. Oh. I just want to say that because of all the people that think you were a prick for, you know, not just being the bigger man and
2: letting him walk all over you.
3: Yeah. I mean, you know, and it's it's really Especially hard once he starts
2: threatening, you know, bodily harm and stuff like that. At that point, yeah, you had every right to basically yep. be like get this guy arrested and
3: yeah. And, and his
2: job selling uh, pot or growing pot or whatever uh, pot-related thing he does.
3: Yeah, and and you know, as I say, my my you know, for me, for me it's very hard because I know I'm a hothead. I know no. how I handle things, you know, and you know, out of respect just for my wife and and what you know, because I I step in eggshells around her family. She has no idea how much I hold back things, right? Like for me to stop and not just follow this guy, I, you know, I hit my property line and just was like, all right, this isn't worth it. He's just gonna keep walking away, even though he's like, Let's go. And then, well, say, and then he called me. Right. And then he just many times. Right. And people are like, Oh, Hey, you gotta, you gotta unfollow him. And I was like, are you gonna, you know, block block him? And I was like, no, he's stupid enough to tell me what he's going to go do. And I'm smart enough to know where I'm going to be and how I'm going to react. Right. Like, that's the only reason I didn't do it. And in my head. So just, uh, you know, and and her whole family's just going crazy, and you know, so somehow I ended up the asshole out of this conversation. So I, I, that's usually what we do. As yeah. A, yeah. And and you know, I I grew up very different than most people, right? So like when when something was said in my neighborhood, right, it was that was what's going to happen, right, one one way or another. So. You know, uh most people don't understand that like there was multiple shootings in my neighborhood mm-hmm. there was things that happened in a constant so of course i'm always on high alert i'm all i take everything very serious right mm-hmm. i if i say something i mean it mm-hmm. for the most part right there's mm-hmm. a one percent <laughs> chance that i don't but like that you know and so that to me everybody's like oh he won't do anything he won't do anything and i was like i don't care what you think are you are you willing to risk that one The
0: problem chance? is when people say those type of things, yeah. it motivates the other people to, Oh, you don't think I will. Yeah. Exactly yeah. Right. Cause that's, I'm the type of person that's like that. They go, Oh, he won't do anything. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah.
3: And uh, yeah. So it just, it was, it was not a great weekend in that sense. You know, my, my wife, she, she did wonderful, right. She had my back on it and things, but um, yeah, you know, couldn't tell you I had the greatest weekend of my life. <laughs> so, um, and then today, right? I go and fall in a pool and lose my phone.
0: I lose your phone. Yeah, you know, For I hate like it. a week. And how
3: many times on this on this thing have I told everybody how much I hate that pool? You do hate And that now thing. I hate it even more. <laughs> oh.
1: So, an awful um, showdown that you well, have to be I'll, I'll
5: propose a toast. Here's to a great Memorial Day weekend, gentlemen. Yeah. Yeah. Cheers. Hey, cheers. Yeah. Thank cheers.
1: you. I like that idea. I think, hey, Jim, when do you come two. home? Uh, t- uh, Friday so we're not doing anything hit me up okay so nick had a showdown over the weekend there's a showdown going on in washington right now there um, is let's talk about the debt ceiling
0: yeah because it's it's there <laughs> i mean it's kind of there yeah we did yeah. talk about this a couple months ago uh, the professor joined Thanks. us for that but this is
4: definitely a hot button issue because uh so,
0: we're gonna let, default
4: let me first uh i do not know as much to think about scott uh in your background so uh where are you uh, located right now and if you don't mind me asking the rest of you either um scott what uh, what's your background
5: uh so i live in chicago i work in television um my background is uh as a writer producer kind of work behind the scenes um I've been working on a book for uh, about 10 years now, a little more than 10 years, um, writing it in my spare time. And when it looked like TikTok was uh, maybe gonna be outlawed, I I had been planning to use TikTok um, to get my message out. I, uh, I had um, about a year ago done a, a TikTok channel for my dad for a little business enterprise. He was trying to get off the ground. So I, I had a little background in it, and I knew I wanted to use TikTok. I'm a big TikTok user. You know, I watch it every day. I love it. And uh, so when it, TikTok was in danger, I thought, I got to get on here and, and start getting this message out. Uh, and uh, that's how you ended up seeing my Walmart material, which was actually written about five years ago, but basically all still applies. Uh, so that's my background, and that's where I am from. Excellent.
4: Cool, Did and I.
2: From university of Michigan? So Scott used to come out drinking for me, and that's when we're at Chicago. For I think that day. absolutely
0: has to happen.
5: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Or even when we're there for.
0: I Fat was Expo. thinking of somebody's bachelor party. I was thinking, of, well, I was, that's what I was thinking first, but maybe
5: Fab Expo too. Oh, that sounds well. like a wild Michigan time.
4: <laughs> so, so that's great. You graduated um, from the University of Michigan. <laughs>
5: That's right. I, I had a double major in English and communications, but that uh, no further studies after that.
4: Well, that's okay. The U, U of M is a, a pretty, uh, pretty good place. So. Thank uh, you. Yeah. I like it. So, all right. Anyway, back to the debt ceiling.
3: And I mean, we are due in uh, six days. It depends. Uh, yeah. Say, <laughs> right? Less, About that. But, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, it, for all intents and purposes i mean june 1st or 4th whatever the date was is d-day to make this happen so um the house can't figure out how to get their heads out of their butt they can't make
4: no. a proposal go into play they they
0: could or, get their heads out of their ass but they or, haven't the problem is it's, we have too many idiots
4: yeah and and it's a bad a really bad problem too because it's an invented problem <laughs> and very much problems are the really tough ones to solve because the people that invented the problem don't want to solve it. Exactly, And uh, that's kind of what you got going on here. I mean, this is this is the husband and wife fighting about the credit card bill while they're sitting on the couch they bought with it and watching the TV that they bought with it saying, we, we shouldn't have to pay this. How dare you be so foolish with our money? I mean, yeah. that's kind of what's going on here, but there's a deeper uh, ideological component to it that I'm not, uh, you know, absent-minded enough to to lose sight of. And obviously there's people that think that they're going to score some major political point if we can bring it just right down to that absolute very end. And I think it was 2008 or nine, somewhere around there is the last time it got this close. And they momentarily, the U.S. had a lowered uh, bond rating right. from this. And you know, the country's taken on a lot of debt over the last couple of years. So if that caused, even if that happened and that caused a, a longer term uh, high interest rate period, then right now people are going to notice it in, in a way that they aren't thinking about the interest rates people think are high now, and they are for most people's sort of mortgage holding lifetimes. But by historical standards, they're actually not nearly as high as they can get. I mean, Dave, you and I grew up in the same, pretty much even the same neighborhood, the same time period mm-hmm. in houses that cost in the mid-20s to $30,000 range in the mid-1970s. And by the 1990s, those things were selling for uh, $100,000, some of them. So inflation was really bad back then.
0: My childhood home was $20,000 uh, yeah. on, and on so, five acres and it's 5,400 square feet.
4: Sure. Yep. And and the one I grew up in, I think my mom and dad told me they paid like 22 or 23,000 for it in the mid 70s. And I don't know what they sold it for in the mid 90s, but it was a lot more than that, obviously. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Well, you but, know, I,
0: I read a statistic the other day, and don't quote me, I could be wrong, that 25% of our, our debt right now can be traced back to the last presidency. He added 25% on to what we have.
4: Yeah, I I believe it, especially if you I adjust know. the value of debt to inflation, which is like a snowball, actually. It just mm-hmm. gets worse the more debt you bring on because the more devalued the currency can it become. Oh, come on. And, I thought
2: giving tax breaks to the rich would solve all the problems. You would think that.
4: It doesn't seem to work that way. Or a fiscally conservative or a party that claims to be fiscally conservative. Yeah. That
5: yeah, I think you mentioned 2008. I mean, that, uh, that's a great place to start the discussion because that was when Barack Obama uh, decided to negotiate over the debt ceiling uh, with the Republicans at that point, and kind of gave them this, uh, you know, idea that it's okay to to hold the whole country hostage uh, when the Republicans are out of power to try and, you know, get whatever is on their wish list for the moment, uh, and and kind of put them in a, in a poll position. But for for me, honestly, I don't get really worked up about this because everybody knows what, you know, a complete self-own it would be to actually, you know, not raise the debt limit and then blow up our currency, especially with the whole BRICS situation happening right now. You know, they're, they're threatening to come up with some sort of alternative currency and pop us off the old uh, petrodollar, uh, which would, you know that's a whole other kettle of fish, but you know, these, all these things happening at the same time, it would really be suicidal to actually let this debt ceiling expire and, and go into default. It's just crazy.
1: Well, you know, oh, Scott, like you talk, yeah. you talk about in your, um, in the TikTok that I really enjoyed, I thought you did a great job with about, Thank stock you, sir. Tax, right. Um, for example, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's like burning money. And the reason that it's done is because people that are very, very wealthy get, much more wealthy, right? It's, it's, it's intended to create, um, it's intended to keep moving wealth upward. And if the economy collapses, those folks are gonna be very, very, very unhappy with our political class, right? And so I don't see, I, I, I don't see the, the folks that pull the strings of the folks that are pulling the strings, allowing that to
5: happen. A great point. And I would only add to that, you know, you brought up a great point about, um, well, just thinking about the debt in general, why do we have so much debt because we're not taxing the rich exactly. instead of taxing for the rich we're borrowing from the rich so yeah. they they win both ways you know instead of being taxed they just get to you know buy all these bonds and we borrow from them and then pay them interest on the money we're borrowing so you know they win coming and going in that situation
0: we're well, we're referencing the uh tiktok you did on stock buybacks so part of my capstone was i had to run a hypothetical company and you got you know points based on everything you did for this company and two of the things that really pissed me off um running this company was a way to get max points was to take out the maximum amount of debt every year so you Mm -hmm. had to take every available loan there was and the other one was you had to buy back all the stock that they allowed you to every year which also to me is an asshole move because not only are you taking on all of this extra debt that you may or may not need, but then you're using that debt to buy back all of the stock to make your company more valuable and screw over everybody else. And I, that's my, what I got a great is. grade in this class, but fundamentally it just drove me insane. Yeah,
4: that's the expectation of how corporate finance is going to work. And, and the, that is a model of get rich, quick off stock. Mm-hmm. it's It's just this right here. Oh. A, a short-term investor owns it enough that these accounting gimmicks, which is what that is, get the stock to be artificially inflated long enough that they can sell it, make money, and then it's dumped and then it goes down, and then people get in at the bottom, and then it the cycle goes up and down again. And it used to be companies they would kind of do the opposite. Right? They would divide their stock when it got to be really high-valued because it was a way of raising money quickly. Mm-hmm. It's a very well, safe way, way of doing it, it. really well, safe way of getting cash on on hand. And so they would do that. But now they do the opposite. They'll well, most of them. Inflate right? I mean, the value of their stock, and then that becomes a part of the uh, the pay package for the upper executives. Yeah. You know, you look at um... – <clears throat> Oh my gosh, Warren Buffett, right? Mm-hmm. Never
3: once has Brookshire Hathaway uh ever split their stock, right? It's just gone the whole way. Mm-hmm. Um but and then they just started a whole separate like it, they have A and B, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like though I've had a couple stocks where yeah, I'm in I'm owning them and then all of a sudden they tank because they split and sure I own two of them, but you know, normally it just goes lower real quick because they're like,
0: hey, they're, they're not financially where they should be. My daughter bought Amazon. Exactly. And then they split. Every share was worth 20 now.
3: Yep. And then, you know, the hope is it goes and it, over time, right? History will make it happen, but you're that's a great way to start mm-hmm. getting more people to fund more money, right? And, uh, you know, I, I think most, you know, most companies used to do that, right? I mean, now it's not happening and uh Scott, I think yours was specific about Walmart themselves and uh it's funny because David David absolutely despises Walmart I fucking hate Walmart. I I think their business plan
0: of things is great um it's it's really it's a fun conversation what what business plan exactly the one where they pay employees less than the, what they're worth and they're all on public funds nope.
5: Nope. That uh, was the subject of another of my TikToks. It yeah, was. <laughs> so, um, you know,
0: well, I love if the
4: fact you, I... if just before we move on to I, one more thing about yeah, the sure. whole stock buyback and, and splitting stocks, this, this gets back to a fundamental difference in the way corporate management is. The philosophy used to be that the company wasn't going to have ever so much cash on hand that they truly didn't ever need to borrow money. And the reason is, is because this country had a tax structure that made it disadva- very disadvantageous for a corporation to do that because mm-hmm. their executives wouldn't make as much money as they actually could if they were paid a lower salary, but then had other perks of working there that because the taxes would get up to them in the end. So oh, yeah. Yeah. then the corporate tax structure was completely changed. Reagan came in, they lowered the income tax rate. All uh, some of the reforms that Scott talked about in his TikTok video are one of the many, many, many things that now corporations like Apple, they don't need to, to ever split their stock. They they have so much cash. Mm-hmm. They spent a billion and a half dollars redoing Hewlett Packard's old corporate headquarters, sharing it into their own campus, and then they still had about a trillion dollars left yeah. to burn. So they don't. They're in the opposite situation. If there was a tax structure. That redistributed their wealth in a way that well at least was it used to be uh to borrow an argument from paul krugman um they those corporations would not have all that cash on hand
5: yeah i agree i think you can go back to uh milton friedman and uh, a lot of his ideas in the in the 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s all up into the 80s he was a reagan was a huge fan uh and You know, he was all about putting the shareholders at the center and uh, kind of redefining who owned a company as the shareholders. And so with this new shareholder value mindset, you get these ideas like, you know, the whole the whole system becomes very short term focused Uh, instead of long term, like David was talking about. And once upon a time, uh, companies were able to plan out further than, you know, whatever's happening in the next quarterly reports. Uh, and now it's all now, now, now. And and that ties in with the uh, CEO compensation, which was alluded to, you know, the whole system is, is built around this idea of concentrating wealth even more at the top. And, you know, one of the ways that you do that is you get the CEOs uh, into the shareholder value game by giving them as much stock as you can so that they too have a self-interest in focusing mostly on stock price.
1: Yeah, and not only that, but but it's a short-term focus, right? As opposed to building out the value of the organization over the long term. When that absolutely. compensation becomes such a large part of their package, then they the only incentive is the next quarter or the next you know year yeah. or whatever, as opposed yeah, to you know, I I work with a lot of organizations that do five and 10-year plans, and it's almost a joke, particularly for publicly held companies. Um, mm-hmm. it's almost a joke because you know that they're gonna there's gonna be siphoning money off and they're gonna be artificially you know, managing their stock price and things like that. And it's, it, there's no point in planning beyond the next, you know, at, at most six to eight quarters. Right. You
5: know, Right. I, well, and it's built into the system too, because if the shareholders aren't getting their value maximized, they're going to have a rebellion and the CEO's out yeah. and they'll put somebody else in who does do what they want. Exactly. Yep. You
3: know, I, I worked like- at Gentex Corporation and we got quarterly bonuses mm-hmm. and the CEO used to be Fred Bauer. Um, and you everything's public when you're a public company right so he made four hundred thousand dollars a year okay now the vice president uh his earnings were on it was eight hundred and sixty thousand dollars right it was insane but so he made more than what fred did but fred had so much in stocks and you do the math and every quarter he'd make 2.3 million dollars um and they you know forever yeah i had great bonuses right anywhere from 19 to 23 25 you know and finally, after I think we hit a year and a half, so uh, six bonuses, um, they were like, you know what, we're gonna lower the, but we're gonna give you five percent more money, which was great. I had a bigger paycheck, so that way my bonuses were down in the the nineteen range, right? And then it grow up, but all it does is give Fred more money, right? <laughs> to, the back end again, he's not taxed on it, he's not, and then you know near the end of my career there. Um, you know he he stepped down or whatever they want to call it, and I mean he's still getting all of this as his. What thing, company right? is this? This was Gentex Corporation. Okay. Uh, they they made inside and outside car mirrors for every.
4: What auto you're describing, yeah, part of what you're all describing is, uh, so at one time some corporations had a governance structure where the there was a chairman of the board, and he was separate than the chief executive officer. And for this reason, because the chairman, the, the board, their you know theory was that they had a different, not all of their goals were the same as the manager of the company. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like the difference between the president of a college and the board of trustees. And they used to look at it that way. But when you've got most of the pay going into the chief executive of the corporation being in the shares, he becomes like the largest shareholder. Or oh, one yeah. of the largest shareholders, so it's the opposite. He runs the board; the board yeah. doesn't run him, and, and, and they can basically pay themselves however much money they want.
3: And that was it. He, he, you know, he was the founder, and you know, we would always hear, "Hey, he started in his garage." And I always told everybody, "I said I don't care how much the guy makes. He started it. He made the company as big as it is." When I left, I think there was like thirty eight hundred employees, right? And he did great. Like when it comes to that, and we'll dive into it more. You know. Later, and but like did... for him, I don't care how much he makes. Now that he stepped away, oh I'm really pissed that the guy's making a million bucks a year or whatever because he didn't earn that aspect of things. You want
0: to know what I'm I... gonna say? Go ahead. What the fuck's a bonus? <laughs> I yeah. <laughs> got that jacket, I got a twenty dollar baggie.
2: But
3: it also I got money. Be, you know, no, also... but then
2: I you and I don't always agree on like the wealthy people. Oh yeah. But I agree a hundred percent with you there. If you started a company with your bare hands, if you're getting paid an exorbitant amount of money by the time you retire, you deserve it because you built that thing yourself. Yep.
3: And and that's I never have had a problem, right? So we go back to the Walmart thing, just because I I do love to pick on Walmart as well. But like so, Sam Walton, I don't care how he made generational wealth. He did. But the fact that his kids and his grandkids are still some of the wealthiest people on the list. They've done nothing. No, the Meyer no. family, right? They've done nothing. Actually, the Meyer family's pretty involved. There's only a couple that sit on the side. Um, but the, the, my, yeah, the Meyer.
4: I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick up for. Yeah.
2: Them. and I would agree. They do a lot for the community, if they're no on in well, and Yeah. If
5: I could stick up spot for on. one other uh, segment that's not getting discussed in mm-hmm. in the, <laughs> sure. the Walton discussion or. Gen, your your company, Gen Tech, uh, Gen
3: Tech. It's not my company. Um, I don't work there anymore. <laughs> they
5: fired, he got fired.
3: <laughs> Say they fired well, me.
5: But here, you know, the workers who adds r- real value to a company, no. who's who's Worker. really, you Thank know, you. who's running Walmart. It's those two point three million people that mm-hmm. are employed by Walmart. Yep. It's Economics not. It's not. Mine. Sam Walton yeah. wasn't doing it all himself. Now, you know, hats off to Sam Walton. He came up with some amazing innovations, but. He also came up with some very destructive innovations that are hurting yeah. this country, and some of those innovations were severely underpaying his workers, and and using tax abatements and, and getting all sorts yeah. of sweetheart tax deals uh, to make sure that they don't pay taxes when they come into a a, a new town, and, and then you know some, the of some of their competitive um, some of their competitive strategies to intentionally undersell all the local merchants and drive them out of business, and then jack up prices. That was all Sam Walton. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm not going to defend that kind of uh, business because, you know, it ends up being very destructive over time. Right, and we're seeing, yeah. we're seeing yeah. the product of that today. So, you know, what he did well was basically
2: like, yeah, yeah, I'll sell all these other brands, but I'm also going to have my own brands.
5: But and also, I'm going to have
2: the company, I'm going to own, uh, you know, we're going to, the companies that make those brands are going to be part of, and like, that's where they did it. I mean. He bought his own trucks, he bought his own, you know, warehouses. Sure. So on he, one
5: thing one other thing man. he did was uh you know figure out how to keep track of every item of merchandise in the store. You know, they're bet Walmart's better than everybody else at knowing exactly what's on the shelf and what's on oh, yeah. the truck and what's coming yep. out. They they got it all down to a science. So okay. and and
3: that's why I love that. Like when i say hey i like it, it's because they do th- do they do really horrible things really shitty yes but uh, it's not an either look or at the business itself
4: it's actually a very I, smart I good business well i think it can be both for any organization or corporation and that can a lot of a lot of that has to do with who's yeah. running them and you know the thing about walmart target home depot i don't care who the big box retailer is in michigan they have the granddaddy of all Tax breaks by sort of by default because over the years the local property tax laws have been interpreted, or the state <laughs> property tax laws have been interpreted that their property is valued basically as if sure. it was an empty building. Yep. So well, and that's that's how it's valued. They don't value the merchandise, and they don't value the amount of value being added onto the property with the business being transacted there. Which Scott, you're talking about the workers. Everybody, yes. Thank you for mentioning them. That's why there's value added onto that property. Mm -hmm. All the stuff in that store at one time was your neighbor's job. But because Mm -hmm. the corporation stabbed all of their workers in the back, you could say, and moved the jobs overseas, your neighbor doesn't make that stuff anymore. So there's no value added onto that good when it comes into the country until you take it off the ship, drive it to the store put it on the shelf in the store and ring the person up so their entire corporation's wealth is in the people that work for them and they know that that's why they've tried very very hard to keep their wages as low as they can because that's how they make their money period yeah
5: and one other thing you know a lot of commenters on my tick tocks are pointing out is the you know they're they're the number one employer in the country right now but they're their long-term goal is to get that number way down and to automate and do all the self-checkout uh, and eliminate as many of those jobs as they can.
1: Yep, I heard and, a really and, interesting and, article about 10 years ago that said, you know, is, is Walmart going to destroy itself because they're essentially, um, you know, underpaying their workers and so forth and they employ so many people that when, as those people, uh, you know, Lose their jobs and so forth. There's, 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 there's not necessarily gonna be a whole lot of people have to buy their products, right? I mean, there will right. be obviously, but it's it's a significant number, right? That could ultimately end up, uh, you know, particularly in some communities where their um, where their uh, volume is marginal. That could that could put them out, you know, uh, force them to close store.
5: Absolutely, Jim. To really I new- totally agree. Yep. That's a great point. I I I also discussed this in a different TikTok talking about Henry Ford and his five dollar mm-hmm. workday. Now, Henry Ford, 100 years ago in Michigan, uh, was paying $5 a day. Now, hey, Henry Ford, kind of a jerk. You know, there's the Nazi stuff. Not a great guy or a icon that we should all be loving. But, you know, he did this one great thing, which was double his workers' salary so that they could potentially afford the Model Ts that they were making. So that's a great idea. Is And the more you pay workers – the more they can pump into the economy. What's right. happening now with all the Walmart workers being on uh, snap benefits is they spend those snap benefits at Walmart. And yep. you know, that's just a small microcosm and, of the potential there. If you know if you yep. start paying Walmart workers a decent salary, then they can afford to buy a lot more at Walmart.
3: Exactly. And you know, I say so I have a couple quick things on that. One, I want to go back to the property taxes. Mm-hmm. Um so Gentex again, they have seven buildings on quite a bit of land. Who do you think pays more property tax?
0: You, you or me? You. Yeah, yeah exactly. actually That's a factual thing. It's not even close.
3: So uh, I think last I seen, like the new building, they were paying $700 in taxes, mm-hmm. and it was going to be that way for 50 years. Yeah. yeah and pay, there's, on one of my buildings...
2: property publicly on, traded companies. And on one so one they have to disclose every bit of that information. $11,000. They've, $11, got,
4: got, they've mm-hmm. had all kinds of things have happened over the last 20 years in Michigan that have led to that. Yep. One of which is the state got rid of uh, about 15 years ago, a while ago, they got rid of the personal property tax for business. And mm-hmm. it used to be the state had this thing where most of the tax the business paid was actually on the value of the machinery yep. and, and the equipment in there. And the reason for that is the state was a manufacturing state. We never had a VAT. Now I'm not going to get into a complex macroeconomic you know, tax discussion here, but... Value-added tax kind of does the same thing on the consumer end of it, that the state's valuation of manufacturing, originally, property inside the building did. Well, the state got rid of that. They said they would replace the the uh, revenue to local, local municipalities, and guess what? They didn't, of course, and so that revenue wasn't made up for. Nick, what you're seeing is the end result of that. I, from a business owner's perspective, hey, actually, I would have said, yeah, great, they got rid of it, but the other end of the bargain was what wasn't lived up to, and that was yes.
5: not make up for <laughs> that lost revenue. Well, Dave, David, you're so right, and you know, every one of us uh, is paying more property taxes than ever, and it's no mystery why. It's because all of that corporate taxation just keep going lower and lower and lower, and we're the ones who pick up the slack. We're the ones you know a uh, uh, 330 million people all kicking into the kitty in place of these corporations they're making all this money and we're the ones who are asked to pay more in our property taxes because yep. they're the ones getting the sweetheart deals
3: yep and um you know and and you see that through everything you know one thing i'm i like to see how they're going to change things because you'd kind of brought up uh, the fact that uh they bought the uh the Mac or HP corporation and yeah, yeah, yeah. into it. Yep. But right yep. now yep. we're heading into a thing, COVID kind of hit where everybody's mm. kind of working from home. We're not going to see as many office buildings. We're not going to see as much of this Are we happening.
0: not though because how many CEOs are sitting there going, "Nope, we got to bring everybody back into the office well, because I, I have to I, sit there and stare at you to make sure you're doing it's, your it's fucking job." It's a
4: generational thing. I think as long as you've got boomers running the corporations, nope. which you will for the next, you know, 10 years. I yeah because trust well, me I mean I see this well I, David do you really I, think I, that's I can true, even but let's mean, not forget can a lot of Gen Xers who
5: don't have the trust well, for- so there's a yeah. key financial wow. consideration that we're forgetting here yep. which is the fact that these giant properties uh, they do pay a lot of money for for mortgages or what have you and. Oh, yeah. If oh, those yeah. buildings are empty and there's no yeah. justification for having them, yeah, then yeah. they are all going to go on the market at fire sale prices and all yeah. those companies are going to lose big bucks. You know, yeah. here in downtown Chicago during the pandemic, uh, the the uh, what do you call it? The rates of, of uh, vacancy were yeah. through the roof. You know, the, yep. people were abandoning these, these properties and these giant skyscrapers are like 30, 40 percent empty. You, you can't have that. So that's the reason why we have to come back to work. Oh, yeah. Because those, the value of those properties depends on us showing up at those buildings. Or well, you have on to support them scale, scale. to buy back this year's power at a fire sale.
4: It, it happened here in Lansing on a small scale. But then the other thing, too, is the municipalities have, a lot of them are, speaking of property taxes, they're very dependent upon those property taxes. And if those buildings sit empty, they get a big-time devaluation. Mm-hmm and then the company can write them off um so it's a big loss for the it's a big loss for the company um at one time they uh they absorbed the loss but then after that it's the i think at the
2: municipality level municipality level sorry
4: Oh, yeah. I mean, they
2: really it's... like and probably the why they don't care as much about like really upping the taxes on it. For them, it's more important from an advertisement perspective to have these large companies have facilities. there. Like when I thought of like when Target added their distribution center and like what the Climax Scots area, I think it was oh, never yeah. about it was basically yeah. be like, we're going to have, you know, 5,000 new jobs and, you know, this building and it wasn't about like you know when we talk about the value of like you know the actual companies, like there's probably no Walmart store that when you look at all the people in it, all the merchandise, it's not several million dollars worth of money in well, that.
4: Store. Yeah, and so Nick, part
2: of what a manufacturing that's millions of dollars of yes, and that a is
4: manufacturing what manufacturing facility. Mike, what you've brought into the discussion here is the one thing we still haven't that is super important. This is, in the end, why they don't make much money at Walmart, and they never, ever, ever will. Trust me, the corporation will go out of business before they ever pay the workers much money. Here's why. Because the General Motors plant, when you go into that plant, what you are seeing is a ton of value added onto materials Mm -hmm. at multiple stages of the economy. That never can happen in a retail store because it's selling stuff where all that value was already added onto the good. The GM and everything's factory, recycling;
2: nothing is there yeah, permanently. the GM factory the is literally
4: worth a multiplier factor of probably at least five to the economy of what that Walmart store ever could be, mm-hmm. and oh yeah, and never replace that unless you completely reorient your economy, and and it hasn't happened, right here in Michigan. Our economy is still structured that way. So I it's it's just the way it works and it's macroeconomics, but it impacts people at the very local level. And so when I think Jim you talked about when those Walmart stores close, how devastating that would be to the community, think about it, mm-hmm. that a community has now gone through like phase two, of a really bad two-phase economic devastation. Phase one was what got them to the point where Walmart was the only place left in town where you get a yep. job, yep. right? Yep. And kind of that, or buy your
2: goods, even if there were other jobs available.
4: So before that, it was probably a community that was mostly agricultural or had some small industry. Yep. Yep. So phase one, that's gone. Now the standard of living's dropped. So what standard of living is there going to be left when phase two comes? Yep. Well, I, yeah, I, ever, I would say that.
5: One of the long-term projects of the wealthy over the last century has been to drag us back uh, to where we were as workers 100 years ago, making mm-hmm. pennies a day. Um, you know, that's really, that's the idea. That's that's what they would like. They they love that third world style uh, mm-hmm. capitalism.
1: Yep. Well, you know, it's really interesting too, because, you know, to bring the kind of approaches from a political economy standpoint, we're now talking about people you know voting against their own interest, right? Because it's mm-hmm. these rust belt towns, it's the which are now going through, you know, there's the whole rust belt thing, you know, with what all the manufacturing left. And now we're talking about what you're saying, um, David, with the phase two with these, um, you know, the wall, the wall if you will, of these towns. And these people are now voting for the people who put policies in place that cause these things to happen.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And they don't realize that because now it's all about a culture war, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. In the industry, that's the reason that's like, the
5: culture yeah. war exists.
1: Yep, exactly. Yep. The in the, in works, the industry
2: a, a I work in, I mean it could almost be if I was more well known, it would probably already be a uh term in like the dictionary, but I always called it Pfizerized. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> basically these very small companies that had a lot of really bright scientists would come up with, you know, possible pharmaceuticals and Pfizer would basically buy them, yep. take the rights of them, maybe keep the people around for a year and then basically got that group out just to have it. And I like that. it was, yeah, people lost their, it may have gotten a pretty good severance in the long run, but they're still losing, you know, people, unemployment is increasing by, you know, these.
5: Yeah. And don't yeah. forget that having a large segment of unemployed people is a great thing. If you own a, own a corporation. You know, yeah. you don't you want to have a huge labor surplus because the more people are out there fighting for jobs, the easier it is to pay them absolute crap. Yep. Which yep. is why
4: That's right why now, it. right now is the time if there's ever going to be, uh, uh, you know, something left of the labor movement in this country. Now is the time because you have a unique opportunity. The demographics in this country are odd spot. It isn't going to be this way in 20 years, and it wasn't this way 20 years ago. But right now, there is going to be continuously low unemployment Mm -hmm. because of the gap between the size of the baby boom generation with Gen Xers who are smaller in between, and we're the ones that are in the workforce now, primarily, and it's going to be even more so. But that's kind of a sweet spot. So if workers right now, the unions better have really good leadership that knows what's over the horizon because- now's the time to act 20 years from now there's not going to be three percent unemployment there is a, a, a great point
5: david i i agree 100 percent. it makes me think of two different books that i've read one of them is crane brinton's on revolution and in that book he looked at five different revolutions the russian revolution american revolution um, uh, england france and um one other, I think, but anyway, one of the he developed a little theory about certain um, markers that show up when revolutions are becoming ripe, according to these historical events. And one of them is the most important one, I think, which David was talking about or hinting at is when um, people expect to get one thing but don't get it. So we, you know, all the all the gentlemen here, we're talking. Uh, our parents had a, probably had a, you know, I, I don't know if about a higher standard of living necessarily, but, you know, there were cabins, there were boats, there were new cars every couple yeah. of years, one okay. one breadwinner. And now that is completely gone. You know, everybody who's coming up now is a you know, two-earner household. Maybe even the kids are kicking in. It's It's getting harder and harder just to make ends meet. And the other book that I was thinking of was called um, The Fall of the House of Labor. And that talks about how in the 1920s, uh, labor was flat on its back, kind of like today, just like about as beaten down as you could possibly get. But then the Depression happened and suddenly labor came roaring back. And, you know, that's kind of the point, I think, that we need to start thinking about, because... Right now, labor is on its back. The share of uh, unionized private, uh, you know, workforce that works for private companies, uh, instead of, as opposed to public, uh, public, uh, yeah. you know, government public agencies sector. and what have you, uh, yeah. is lower than it's been probably since the 20s. Uh, so still... now there is huge, huge growth opportunity for unions to come back and for workers to join together. Because that's really, it's self-empowerment. Self-empowerment and, is the only way we're going to get out of this. Because it, it if we is. let and, ruling class take us, it's going to go. It's going to go straight to the third world. We're going to be, you know, it's child labor laws are coming back. They're talking about that already in some oh, yeah. states. Probably, and, you know, and, loosening child labor restrictions. That, that's the direction we're going. Yeah, let yeah. me
4: add one more comparison, though, to the 30s. And, and this is something a lot of people completely forget about. In the mid-1920s, right in the middle of the uh, economic growth that started in 1921 after the pandemic was finally over, (laughs) the last of the three them all out of this country immigration laws passed, the Johnson-Reed Act, and the end result of that law was not felt until the World War II hits. One of the reasons why there was such a bad labor shortage during World War II was they ruined a generation of american workers they were gone because they didn't let their parents come to this country and that is one of the things that gave workers such a huge bargaining power because the unemployment rate was really bad in the early 1930s it actually started to go down big time in 1936 part of the reason why the flint sit down strike happened in 1937 was because The workers actually had work and they had power, but then Roosevelt tried balancing the budget. The unemployment rate spiked up again, but even then, the demographics were starting to catch up finally, but then World War II hit and of course the unemployment rate plummeted, but it would have gone down even if World War II hadn't hit, partially because of demographics. So my point is, I am usually not too overly optimistic about politics because you know, it's easy to be cynical, but I think workers right now truly have some things going for them. They even mediocre leadership it could probably get some big gains for workers they haven't had in a long time.
5: I think the biggest thing that workers have going for them is self-righteous rage, you know, <laughs> seeing, you know, these reminders that I, you know, like my own TikToks talking about just how rich the rich really are. I, we have a hard time understanding the difference between a billion and a million it just it doesn't even like it sounds similar and it's hard to conceptualize but it's like a million seconds you can do that in 11 days is a million seconds and it's 32 years i think is a billion seconds that's the difference it's just a completely exponentially different and um that's what the the wealthy class in this country they're they're dealing with that kind of money and all of us the rest of us regular joes we're just barely making ends meet and it makes us mad it makes us so mad when we know the truth about how much opulence and wealth um, is existing off of our own backs
1: all that wealth that's not trickling down right <clears throat>
5: well, it's a lie trickle down I and mean, it, it,
2: it, it is hard to sit there and like i said for a common person who doesn't have like a general understanding of numbers like I mean, you look at even, like, it's the same it's the difference between a million and a billion is basically the same. It's the same mathematical difference that's as true. one to a thousand.
1: Or a when thousand
2: to a million, A decent yeah. amount of things with a thousand dollars where you yeah. can't really do anything. Yeah. But when you get up to those levels, like, even when you look at, like, a, what you can do with a billion dollars, or when you're looking at our debt being in the trillions, the, it, that's your, like like, wealth for like the rest of basically probably human existence when you look at the difference between a billion and a trillion dollars. Well like, sure like I what, go the, to
5: like the US GDP is of, something like seven trillion. So did yeah. that get you an idea yes. I mean, it's that's a lot higher entire... than
4: actually well, no no I'm just saying not, that, that mathematical like difference
2: realize a million and a billion is a big difference. I'm like there's like yeah if you if you retire with a million dollars You know, if you're not investing it well, eventually you're going to run out of it. If you retire with a billion, you're sad. You could just buy a new, like, car every day and you're
5: still going to retire with. And to your point, you know, it would be different. It would be difficult to spend a billion dollars in a lifetime.
0: Well, one of the things we're talking about here is perception. I want to get back to Walmart for a second. So Walmart comes into a community like South Haven, which you love. Yeah. Uh, I love
5: South Haven.
0: Yeah, great community. Okay. This was probably back Blueberry in the late 80s. Nope. Yes, and uh, late eighties they got a Walmart. There, there's really nothing else to complete with, compete with Walmart in South Haven except for small businesses because okay. they don't. I mean, they're a touristy town. They don't really have a whole lot there, so Walmart. Well, the nice comes part, in, a at least with
2: that, is Walmart. Like, if you're sitting down there in like one of the beachside areas, you're not going to just take a trip to Walmart to get correct. A case of beer or a loaf of bread i mean you're gonna to go to one of the local stores if they're you still open.
0: Leave. well yeah and if they're still open but i i mean the point there is you know that was a big deal when they came mm-hmm. yeah. you know you look at an area like chicago on the other hand they have you know a bunch of walmarts and many of them are closing mm-hmm. because the perception that walmart is painting is they're closing because of all of this theft we have to close walmart in, you know on the south side of chicago because there's just so much theft and it's rampant and Blag. it's costing us that. all of this money <laughs> <laughs> that's
5: that's the reason why i started doing no. my walmart series no um, no no, no i was no, no, no. Standing you up for this guy source. please <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, not how so, so i live in chicago and actually there aren't a bunch of walmart stores in the city of chicago there are only 8 and 4 of only. them are closing so um you know walmart corporate is more than happy to sell this narrative that it's because of rioting and looting and theft that they just can't keep their doors open anymore and that's i've
2: I've known people who've been in management levels at walmart and they already know they're expecting a certain percentage of loss due to theft.
4: so walmart has actually been on usually it works the opposite and it's funny the news doesn't i haven't seen this report in the news Right before COVID, there was I was following on my way to work in the morning. I listened to some radio program, and they had their ongoing retail apocalypse, and it was a sort of ton in cheek story about how bad retail is doing bricks and mortar retail. But a side story was all of these communities in the suburbs and in small towns that had had it with Walmart and were asking them to leave and forcing closes. Uh, stores closed down, declaring them public nuisances. Why? Because Walmart had such a bad problem with theft because they got rid of their security. That's mm-hmm. private property. It is a wealthy corporation. It is not the job of the taxpayer to be in there every five minutes with their police officers to guard okay. your property. Okay. And if you can't take care of your property, that is your problem. Yeah. And so. People think it's oh, it's the ghetto, it's the hood, and that proves that they can't have a company like Walmart there. When actually, usually it's the opposite. Walmart can't behave itself in any community sometimes, and therefore it has to leave.
5: Yeah, you're right on, David. And I would only add that um, you know, oh shoot, I was I had a really great point. Uh, no nope, I lost it.
0: <laughs> Hopefully, it comes back. <laughs> It's i'm like not the, picking on, on them with,
5: with they've
4: been i like, remember news, but my point is companies that think whenever the news is set up that it's like you know we tried this special thing we were going to bring you poor hood people our beautiful corporation with you know you get to go in here and buy a banana in a walmart store or a bag of lettuce or a bottle of pepsi or whatever the heck you want to buy good for you and it's then becomes the opposite that, yeah, well, there it is. America's cities aren't back yet. People can't behave themselves. The company had to leave.
5: Yeah. Okay. I remember now. And, you know, I I agree with you 100%. And I would just add that uh, Walmart uh, loves this perception that it's theft, and that helps them cover up for the fact that um, they can't really compete uh, in a city like Chicago part of their whole um, plan for competing is wiping out the competition. In a city like Chicago, you can't wipe out hundreds of other stores that are within a three mile radius. Right. So that, you know, that's a key part of how Walmart operates, especially in small towns, especially in small town, Michigan, small town, Oklahoma, they roll in, they wipe out the local sporting goods store, the hardware store, the grocery store, they, suddenly they're selling everything right yep. you can't do that in chicago
1: nope. and it's, it's all related to population density right it's just so you you can't you literally can't have enough stores to be successful doing that yep. no but g- gentlemen i do need to bow out now i appreciate uh scott it's very nice to meet you i appreciate Jim. Being- thank you Hi, so jim. much thank you go blue. blue thanks thank you jim
4: hope to I see you again soon thanks can't do the school blue thing. Well you didn't go to either uh, go school. Blue, go blue. No, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> I meet <laughs> I meet Michigan graduates like everywhere in the world. Trust me. I know. I'm yeah. sorry. I uh I I mean and I've kind of a long story, but I was standing on a street corner in a not a big place, a smaller city in England once and was just, you know, talking to a stranger waiting for the light to turn. And as it turned out, the guy was a University of Michigan graduate. <laughs> Yeah, it was a little I mean, more. They everyone, that, but you know, all of you know,
2: those top-tier schools they end up everywhere. Like people just want to hire them wherever uh, they can. Uh, I
4: mean you get it. will say the same thing though. I am a Central Michigan University graduate amongst I
5: love uh, CMU.
4: Amongst other place and I have been on the streets in mini city in the USA and around the world. I was walking in the uh, streets right in George Square in Glasgow, Scotland, once I had a CMU uh football jersey on and i had my earphones in and but i saw somebody pointing at me so i took my earphones off and she came right up to me and she said in a in a lovely american accent fire up chips and i said (laughs) and i said back fire up chips i remember going i was was with a
2: like walmart and they're willing to deal with like theft it was probably like 15 years ago i was in a walmart with like a friend I can't remember what we had bought but it was probably only like a few like small things but something with like how their computer was set up we triggered an alarm because their computer wasn't set up to like recognize like five dollar you know this other or the other thing is being sold and I'm like you know if you were like if they knew like this and it was like the security person they just said you have this in your bag and we showed them like, I could literally, this was before they were like locking up like $100, oh, yeah. like MP3 players and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Like, literally, I could have like an MP3 player at the bottom of my bag and just have this like $5 item and literally just walk through and say, Yep, I've got this. That's what's triggering it. I, they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't be the wiser.
4: It's companies sometimes are the own worst enemies. I mean, yeah. They are. Sometimes just to be like play sociology in my mind, you know, when I'm out working in my garden, I've got my bib overalls on and I'm, you know, good and dirty. I gotta run into the store. I'll are you sure like
2: to your bib overalls?
4: I'll just run in right like that, you know, got my hat on and I grab a shopping basket and before I know it, I've got more people around me than, you know, you can shake a stick at, especially if it's, you know, I pull up and my, uh, my brother and I that I, I share <laughs> a pickup truck with. It's an old kind of an old beater and it's great. People take so much of an assumption by the appearance, but to get back to Walmart in Chicago, you know, the, the whole retail thing, the, I mean, it, I, I kept following these stories about these little towns and suburban mm-hmm. and semi-rural areas that uh, because the company was too cheap to afford security. I mean, come on, your TikTok video, Scott, you talked about how much, uh, just by ending this stock buyback practice, they could have to pay their workers well eh, more than yeah. five
5: dollars an hour.
4: Yeah, how about one security person?
5: I mean, yeah, right. They can afford it.
2: Uh, I think so. Even yeah, the- when you're in those small towns, if there's you know a ten minute drive between your town and the next small town, I'm like sure you can get a Walmart. But if there's a reasonable amount of jobs available, who's going to drive? minutes for a minimum wage job
4: well and even then i mean the i think that the this gets us back to the whole we talk about the value added of you know an economy that does something besides handle goods that were made elsewhere but then i think that there's a deep psychological trauma that society as a whole goes through eventually. If you have generation after generation where there isn't economic opportunity, um, there has an economy such as ours doesn't work very well if there isn't that middle level of economic opportunity. Yeah, everybody is never going to be rich, and you do not want to have everybody poor either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you have to have a society that has economic opportunity that doesn't require. Uh, and a level of, say, effort or expertise that just isn't and never will be available to masses of people. No, just, the difference between, like, bigger. our
2: countries and, like, true third-world countries is the fact that you've got your extremely poor people and then you've got your, like, government yeah. leaders who are, like... Super rich class. ...have that generational wealth and mm-hmm. everything like that. But, I mean, I think, you know, I remember when Walmart started coming into these areas in Michigan and especially when they started converting them to the superstore where you mm-hmm. could buy all of your groceries and everybody's like, you know, Meijer's going to be out of business because, you know, well, Meijer's never gone out of business. In fact, I've seen more like Meijer's build and because in general, people know you're going to get a slightly better quality of store product other than your brand
5: names at Meijer. And, B, you're going to get a lot more personal attention. Mm-hmm.
1: because Another Apple,
5: reason why the Chicago stores can't survive is because Chicago shoppers have alternatives. And Chicago yeah. shoppers, even in the hood, are politically yeah. aware. And they know that shopping at Walmart is, you know, not yeah. cool for workers. And if they have an alternative, they might find it. Well,
2: especially, especially in those areas. Where... I mean, at that point, you've got, you've got a very mixed diet. You know, a very strong dynamic of races and stuff. And I mean, if you've got, you know, like blacks, they might go to like a store that focuses on a lot of like a black owned store. And you know, a lot of your Asians are going to go to, you know, stores where they can get all of their like seasonings and foods that remind them of home and everything. And I said, I think, uh, sure. uh, unfortunately things there are but there's oh, walgreens at, and starbucks uh, are what i see like every like fifth block in chicago Well, mine still, is unfortunately in, in
5: chicago there are food deserts which uh yeah. which are oh, neighborhoods yeah. where there are yeah. no grocery stores except yeah. for little bodegas where they charge yeah. you know charge a million dollars for a banana yeah. and uh you know these the people who live there you know, they they have a hard time getting to a, a decent store. So that's why there were protests when the Walmarts were closing because they came in, they're the white knights on a horse. So, you know, oh, well, f- we're finally going to bring a grocery store to your neighborhood. And then they're like, ah, oh, second thought, we're out. You know, I, I would be mad about that too if yeah. I had to, well, you know, ride a train so, half an hour away somewhere yeah. else. To show. Now, compared to what
4: Myers did in Detroit. So, Detroit yes. had, I think, it hadn't had a Myers in a long time. And Myers is, you know, the Michigan thing. Could start in Grand Rapids. And Myers actually, on a smaller scale, has done this in the smaller cities in Michigan, too. They did it in Grand Rapids first. Lansing has one, too. They've got another store that's kind of like uh, Myers Square. Dave will know what yeah. that is. Mike Benson. Is. I
2: remember Myers Square. Yeah, Myers,
4: I was there
0: for half a
4: minute. Uh, Michigan back in the 80s when those were still open. But anyways, Myers opened... Some of their big, huge stores in Detroit, in the city of Detroit, and they uh, were the first big box retailer that had gone into the city in a long time, and we're talking like I think thirty years, or if not longer. Walmart, I believe, still does not have any store that operates in the city of Detroit. The thing about Walmart is in Michigan, because of Myers, they never had. They, I think, their expansion was really good until Myers started building stores in smaller towns. Mm-hmm. Then that kind of put an end to, to Walmart's dominance. It really does.
2: I mean, it feels so, like myers truly is, I mean, it's really only local to the greater Grand Rapids area, but still, when you look at it, Myers is a Michigan-based company. Well, they're in
3: five or seven states. Well, no, 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 no.
2: I'm talking about yeah. the history of it. Yeah. Uh, People will sit there and Grand be Rapids. like, Oh, yeah. yeah. The, the first Meyer stores ever opened were in Michigan. Who cares about the fact that the first Walmart stores were in Arkansas? Yeah.
0: So the three of us all grew up in the same town. If I, I know where our grocery shopping was done, the majority of our grocery shopping was done at Meyer. What Meyer did open. your parents go to, David?
4: The one on Golf Road.
2: Yeah. Okay. Mike? I mean, we, if we were doing, like, I would remember as a kid, it was usually about every two weeks, my mom and she would take one of the kids, and it was kind of like we were like the special one. The week we got to, the week we got to go to Meyer on the Friday night because we wouldn't be able to stop at the Purple Cow and get ice cream.
0: And which yeah, one did you go to? Cow. Which one? Go Road.
2: So yeah, road. We, we
0: went to Westridge. Those were your two options: Westridge, Go we Road. Would, that was it. Yeah, because
2: they didn't an open and I mean, we supported yeah. both because we had yeah. because same
4: you even you my, my make mom that even my mom and dad, of course, you know, their kids worked at the store, so they had a good reason yeah. to. But yeah. even they, even before we worked there every now and then, and they didn't have, you know, money to spare, trust me. Every now and then, even then, they would go to those local businesses mm-hmm. and spend a, you know, good chunk of the paycheck there. So those were very important to those communities. And yeah, sometimes far, you're ended,
2: like, you know, you guys being in kind of the Cooper area, you had
4: that, yep. that yeah because it's that, really like,
2: right there at the corner or yeah, and,
4: you when know, your mom was getting
2: out of work at st martin's hit the hardings and yep or it's eight o'clock at
4: night and you need a gallon of milk and you're not and it's yeah. snowing like the dickens out so you're not going to drive. Or even worse milk. you go
2: to the gas station and you buy it where it's even yeah. more hiked up but at the yeah
4: i i think that scott you might have mentioned this and i know um our uh, departed guest had as well, El Presidente, about this idea about the uh, Walmart, but we could say any company, uh, eventually becoming a victim of its own success, partially yes. in its effort to automate, automate, automate. The I wonder if, you know, thinking out loud, back to my comment from earlier about this sweet spot we have, a shortage of labor, I, I do think that, but eventually it may end up accelerating the the whole move to getting robots to do our jobs for us. I had a great discussion with a historian colleague of mine here last year. Maybe it was two years ago about this. But the crux of it was people at one time would not only consider if it's possible, but they would also consider if we should do it. And our society is now as gung-ho as it's ever been about that first contemplation if it's mm. possible but we don't always think about well yeah but why would we actually do it and building robots to you know replace all of us might be one of those things and the last thing i'll say about that is i was listening to this british radio station i don't and know this was like, real. before covid so a while ago and uh that Comment that the show was all about this uh, futurist back in the 60s that talked about how oh yes the future will be great because machines will do all the jobs we hate, and uh you know the only work left to do will be the good leisure stuff that we all enjoy and everybody'll get along. This guy on this program I was listening to was his sinister take on that was nobody ever f- commented on what would happen if all of that was true, except only the people that owned the robots got to benefit from their labor.
5: Exactly. That's exactly right. Um, You know, you talk about self-checkout, but also AI. I mean, there's this huge discussion right now. AI is coming for all our jobs. And I think there's a, there's a sense of fatalism among the people and a sense of uh, a fate accompli almost that like, Oh, this is almost already done and we're all going to lose our jobs. Um, But, I think ultimately that is a political decision. And if yeah. the people were empowered, uh, we would we would definitely uh not agree with that to uh forego all of our jobs uh to make wealthy people people even wealthier. And that's it's it's top down. You talk about AI, you talk about automation. This is all coming from the top down, from the executive suite, from the C suite. These guys are the ones who want to cut labor costs to the bone and ignore the fact that what you pay labor is all of your revenue. So, you know, you, you you know go ahead and starve labor all you want, but you're the ones who are going to put yourselves out of business. Yeah. And ultimately, it is a political decision. And we have we should have a voice in determining whether or not computers or automation or self-checkout take all of our jobs from us. It should be up to us. And this is supposed to be a democratic yeah. nation, and we should have a say in that.
2: I think uh, because it's never been officially a true democracy. I mean, even in our government's thing, we call it a democratic republic. We vote for the people we want to re- represent us. but it's still but we could vote in whomever, but if whomever's secret agenda
5: is to replace well, it's not secret even secret you know robot, let's look let's look at who funds all of the campaigns. Now this
4: isn't going to be a conspiracy, which will be the really kind Of sad thing about that no, at all, no, and you don't, you know, if history teaches us anything, it teaches us that the most effective way to make a change is never ever through conspiracy, it's oh, always still, I mean, you're still probably
2: a thousand years before,
4: yeah, but I think
2: machines become well, sentient, like in you know,
4: well, I
2: or anything I, like that. Yeah,
4: that's a discussion for another day. I mean, yeah. science, look, I can tell you right now, and I'm not bragging, I'm just telling you because I think it's it needs to be said these don't be afraid of AI that first GPT chat that supposedly all the smarty pants, the New York times couldn't get. Let me tell you the first time I read that I knew immediately which one the computer wrote because it, the error quote unquote that it made was one that a little child would never make actually who's learning at it right. But my point is that AI nowadays isn't anything intelligent it still is 100% what a human being Mm. programmed that thing to do but if it gets to the point where it actually is able to learn it still probably isn't actually going to be a conscious machine it should be worse to have something that's smart but not conscious that actually might be the really big thing to worry about (laughs) well that
2: would be the entire thing i mean we're not going to be in jeopardy of jobs unless like i said you get like a hell or a Skynet or something yeah. like that. Yeah.
4: But and I mean, I, like you said, know. we've got
2: four of us on this podcast that we know are baseball fans.
4: Yeah.
2: And I mean, every once in a while, I know they talk about, you know, robot umpires. The idea being, I don't think it's ever mm-hmm. going to happen because it takes kind of away the fun of the game to get rid of yeah. The human nature to umpire
4: it does, and this is always the ultimate failsafe to the you know robot. Oh yeah, you get
2: pissed off with the robot. Yeah, that's right, <laughs> man. And this, uh, yes. this what, is are gonna what are factory? they going to do?
4: What are they factory? So,
2: I could I could that's see Billy Barton going against a robot.
4: Yep, that's right. You know when kick, when we're looking kick at... a
2: little kick a little dirt out of him, he's going to malfunction.
0: When, when yep. we're looking at workers, you know, I I think Florida is going to be an interesting. Um, we're gonna say testing ground for some of yeah. this because with DeSantis getting rid of you know migrant workers and we're gonna throw all these huh. supposed illegal people in jail, even though nobody's illegal. Um, what he's probably conscious of, but doesn't care about is the fact that you're not replacing these people with anybody that wants to do these jobs, nobody wants to go out and pick oranges. Um Nobody wants to go and, you know, do the grunt work on the construction sites. You get migrant workers to do that because they're willing to do that. That's a better life than they would have, you know, back from wherever they're from. And, you know, lazy assholes like Nick and I are going to look at that and go, yeah, I'm not doing that for 10 bucks an hour.
5: I would disagree just a little bit. Uh, You know, the migrants are willing to do that labor for the lowest possible cost. Mm -hmm. and. You know, if you paid yeah. a decent price, uh, you get plenty of people out there to to pick oranges or work on construction sites, as long as they can live off what you're paying them. And migrants right. uh, can only live off what the, you're paying them because a lot of them head back home, uh, mm-hmm. or, or you know, are sending as much money as they can back home because you would, the cost yeah. of living in those other countries is so much lower.
4: Yep, I, this country would do a, a great benefit to itself if it simply went back through and revisited some of the agricultural labor laws that haven't been updated in absolutely forever. And you know, agricultural labor is exempt from most of the the safety and wage regulations that non-agricultural labor isn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that what Ron DeSantis is going to figure out, I is I, I think a lot of things. Yes, what you said, David, that these workers just aren't going to magically appear out of nowhere. That if you do not have them, that stuff isn't gonna picked. or 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 that people who can't afford like him to actually pay labor what it's worth might have to do it. I don't know. Ron DeSantis is gonna also figure out that yeah, he's got a lot of, of future <laughs> uh, bad things coming his way if he if he if he succeeds yeah. in driving out a I- state chief employer. I mean, place, imagine if the state of Michigan just, you know, went to war with General Motors and said, you yeah. know, we hate your company, we hate its philosophy, we want you to get rid of all your factories in our state, we don't want your executives to live here anymore, we don't want your kids to go to our schools, just get out of here. Because that's kind of what Ron DeSantis is doing to Disney, yep. to Universal, to every other thing that makes up, like, the bulk of his state's economy. Here's
2: your turn is is it... Really that he's, I mean, because I look back at, unfortunately, the kind of the, the great, the the great of black years of 2016 to 20, hmm. when really Trump was all about what could he do to get a reaction? It is, and I think Sanders is realizing if he's going to dethrone Trump, he's basically got to out-trump out Trump, Trump. Trump. Yeah. And I think, in the, to an extent, I think that's what he's trying to do at this point. It's positioning him in a way of, like I can even, I'll take, a, I won't just take on immigrants and whomever. I'll take on Misty
0: I mean, I think what there's some there,
2: truth
0: they know, to that. David never
2: remember me that's bringing this one up, because I think <laughs> we were a little drunk at the time. But I don't often go to pop culture for, like, good quotes. But Mickey Thump by The White Stripes has a really good, set of lies and it's white americans what nothing better to do why don't you kick yourself out you're an immigrant too who's using who what should we do well you can't be a pimp and a prostitute too and that's yeah, pretty wife. much telling you right the thing what the united states is at this mm-hmm. point yeah
5: well hey fellas i uh have a date with my wife tonight so i had better scoop <laughs> before much longer and
4: i'm gonna Fly two guys. I gotta okay. sounds ride. like we're gonna yep. wrap up here, Nick. But yeah, we
2: are. Um, Dave, Dave, Dave if we go to anything, and I will get a hold of Scott. So, well, no, I'm even talking Lansing area. We need to get the we need to hold to hang up. The, pro- the professor. Well, yeah, and so definitely, Scott. Chicago, thanks so much, Michael Scott. Thanks yes. so much for joining Come us. Come to Chicago.
5: Let's hang out, and I would love that. Thank you, gentlemen, Plug so your much.
2: Your a yeah, pleasure quick. talking to you. It's, it's Scott. I've already been. It, it, or initiated as a true Chicagoan, I've done the old style and the... uh ah, very
5: good. Whatever it is. I have some in my fridge. Scott, no, no, look
4: what's me up liquor? on LinkedIn. Scott, look me up on LinkedIn.
5: Absolutely. we Will yep. do, David. Thank I'll, you.
4: I'll, I'll Yeah, look me up on LinkedIn, so. too. I mean, okay. I think
2: you cook better with him. <laughs> I'm a science guy. I've lost control. Don't plug yourself. What's the liquor they always tell you to drink? Hold on, Mike. In Chicago?
3: So scott go ahead and plug yourself we'll edit that little part
5: oh yeah uh hit me up on tiktok at let's make them pay or uh my Substack stack let's make them pay.substack.com i would love as many new Substack uh followers as i could possibly subscribers as i could possibly get thanks a lot gentlemen
0: thank you scott for joining us uh, i'll be in touch very soon thank
3: you scott yeah. i say as in the beginning if you're still with us like subscribe share tell your friends tell your family um scott we'd love to have you back on for another episode i know we didn't absolutely into- i would love to come
2: visit again I had um, something because it's beer related before you stop yeah go i think gozes are my favorite my new favorite style of beer <laughs> so,
3: there we go um let's um, say and uh, yeah we look forward to another episode i know we didn't hit as many things as we would have liked to but we could talk for hours yeah we will
0: definitely get scott back very soon thank you professor for joining us mike i will talk to you soon as well and thank you everybody else Thanks, for guys. for joining in dialed in to box and brews you might hear something you can use like tips on your cash or tips on the suds you're gonna want to use the smarts of these stuff because they know the brews and they know the box and they know they can't help the stubborn fucks so listen up because shit's not funny and save
2: yourself some beer money bucks. And, bucks and brews bucks and brews bucks and
4: brews
2: bucks and brews